This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, December 8th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Producing from the hangar is Sarah Abbott. And Sarah, we talked this week about how we'd have podcasts on, you know, if there's big news. And we've been doing a podcast every day this week. It's been crazy. It's been great. It's been keeping me on my toes, too. It's been fun. Yeah. And, and you know, it feels like every day we get a deal that is so interesting and, and drives so much conversation, you know, whether it's Jacob DeGrom beginning of the week or Aaron Judge. And then last night, we get word that Red Sox stalwart Xander Bogarts, their four-time All-Star shortstop, agreed to an 11-year, $280 million deal with the San Diego Padres. We've been talking this week about how the Padres were signaling they are all in to try to win a championship. And so they blow up the Bogarts market. Uh, their offer that landed Bogarts turned out to be more than three times what the Red Sox offered to Bogarts just eight months ago. And there's ripples throughout baseball with this. We're going to be talking with Dan Shaughnessy, the columnist for the Boston Globe. Carl Rabich is going to join us. Sarah Langs, Paul Mikitis. A lot of good stuff going on. Uh, and earlier in the day, it looked like it was going to be a good day for the Red Sox because they signed uh, outfielder Masataka uh, Yoshida, who agreed to a five-year deal worth $90 million. Uh, in order to facilitate this deal, they also had to pay his old team, the Oryx Buffaloes, $15.4 million. So in the end, the Red Sox spent $15 more million dollars on this outfield, who's about the same age as Bogarts, is what they offered Bogarts in the spring. It doesn't make sense. We'll be breaking that down. The Red Sox signed closer Kenley Jansen to a two-year deal worth $32 million. I think manager Alex Cora has convinced the front office that, look, let's get stabilization uh, with a structure in our bullpen. we got a, an experienced closer now in Kenley Jansen, and they're going to try to prove the team that way. The St. Louis Cardinals signed catcher Wilson Contreras to a five-year, $87.5 million deal. Carl Rabbits has some thoughts about that. The Mets filled a spot in their rotation with lefty Jose Quintana. All right, Sarah, what else you got? Um, just really quick, this is for my parents. After hearing those numbers, I bet my credit card bill doesn't seem that bad. Just just a quick little <laughs> throwing that out there. Um, but be sure to check out the Dominique Foxworth show. We talked a little about it yesterday, but we had another great episode come out today. And if you're a White Lotus fan, I think you will particularly enjoy this episode. Dan Shaughnessy is a columnist for the Boston Globe. He knows all things about the Red Sox in their history. Uh, so, Dan, I, I, you know, you were the first person I thought of last night when we got word that Xander Bogarts, the guy who wanted to stay with the Red Sox, demonstrated he wanted to play with the Red Sox, winds up leaving, going to the San Diego Padres, provide an autopsy on this situation. How do we get to this spot? Well, again, it's 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 uh, management malfeasance. It's by the Red Sox front office, which is directed by their ownership, which has become absentee ownership, in my view, no longer about winning, but about bottom line and they want to be Tampa more than they want to be the old Red Sox or the Cubs or the Phillies or the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Strohs. So this is what they are. They're, they're bottom line operation. And they had Bogarts under contract. And we knew he was up coming up with a chance to, to opt out. And last spring they came at him with, I think it was $30 million in one year. And uh, that didn't get it done. That is it, is it, 
wound forward and he did opt out. Uh, I think they got to, um, oh boy, six and 160 maybe. So the Sox were 120 million shy and five years shy. It's not really a choice. And we're told that there were three or four other teams willing to, to go over Boston's offer. So they were telling us he's top priority. The player wanted to stay there. He's got 16 years in the organization or 14 years. And, um, you know, two championships, four all-star games. He's a leader. He speaks five languages. I mean, this guy is top shelf, no dust, the de facto captain of the team. You know all this because you're in the room and you're around. And uh, this is something you you keep. And now the Sox have to rely on, you know, fans that aren't paying attention to say, wow, that's a lot of money. They're smart not to give him that. Well, they didn't have to. They, they could have taken care of this. They did this with John Lester eight years ago. They lost the player. And – and their only fallback when the numbers are finally announced is, gee, that's a lot. And some people say, well, they were smart not to do this. And they're not smart not to do it. They're, they're, letting, they're letting their institutional memory leave, uh, their, their attachment to their former greatness leave, a guy that everybody loved. I understand he's not going to be a great player in eight or nine or 10 or 11 years from now. That's not what you do with these contracts anymore. And same with Mookie Betts. The Dodgers are very happy they gave Mookie Betts all the money and no regrets. Uh, they still waiting to win a champ. Well, they did win one championship with him. It's not the one they wanted, but in any event, this is, if you're going to be in the big leagues and be a major market and charge the highest prices in baseball, you have to keep the talent that you draft and develop. They're out of that business now. And we saw, we saw Betts leave. We've seen Bogart's leave. Ben attendee was dumped and they have very little to show for this drain of the, of the drafted and developed talent. Not to mention the fact that this is an organization that's got some, some bad history with with uh, with players of color, and uh, you've lost two now with your own malpractice from a management standpoint. And guys that were stand up guys, top shelf, no dust, and um, just a just a dark day for Red Sox Nation. And and I don't know how they how they dig out of this. They are on the verge of being irrelevant in the market, and that's that's never good for a team that's you know that should be a great local institution that people care about twelve months a year. Yeah, I think you and I are, would probably be completely on the same page. I I don't blame the, the Red Sox for yesterday not you know not going out and saying yeah we'll give Xander Bogarts more than what the Padres are offering. The mistake was what happened in spring when you know at the same within the same week it seemed like that they gave Trevor Story 140 million dollars. They made a one year extension offer to Bogarts without apparently projecting in the first year after labor peace that the salaries were going to spike that he was going to be part of this you know, great group of uh, free agent shortstops. He was going to have enormous leverage to give him a one-year offer. The moment, Dan, that I heard that, my first thought was, whose idea was that? It would have been better for them to say, you know what, Xander, we don't think we're going to work out a deal now. We'll talk to you as a free agent. Because I really feel like that that was a crossroad in this relationship uh, between Xander and the Red Sox. The player who wanted to stay in Boston suddenly began to think like, you know what? This is a business. So whose idea? Do we know exactly whose idea it was to give a one-year extension offer? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because it's very, it harkens back to the John Lester thing of 2014. Yes. They did the exact same thing, insulted the player one year, a guy who wanted to stay here, a guy who had won here, and and then, you know, roll it forward to what just happened. And months later at the, at the meetings when he leaves, you're like, oh, we're floored by this. Well, it happened in the spring when you bollocked it then. So, yeah. I mean, Larry Lucchino took the fall for that one in in 14. And whether it was, I always go back to the ownership. I always go back to John Henry on this. In my view, 
with it, when you're talking this kind of stakes, that's got to be an ownership call. And uh, nobody has the power to make that. I mean, Heinblum's going to take the fall, but he was brought in to make them the Tampa Bay Red Sox. And, and that's it, that's what they have become. And they're about drafting and development. That takes time to go. But they're not telling their fans that. They're not reducing prices there. And uh, they're still trying to sell the, the illusion of contention, which you can kind of do now when the Phillies make it to the World Series and say, oh, we could win 86, seven games. And that's the best they can do now. But it's uh, it's very deflating as someone who's been around the team and, and the, the region for all these years, given how much these guys used to care and be in on every major guy and, and a big player for Alex Rodriguez or, you know, David Price or whoever that Manny Ramirez, you can go back all the 20 years and they were always a player, Kurt Schilling. They were, they were a player for the best guys. And um, now they're not that team anymore. No, uh, you're hundred percent right. And, you know, I, I said during the Aaron judge negotiations this fall, that I felt like he had more leverage than any player in the history of that organization, you know, more than Babe Ruth, more than uh, Joe DiMaggio, more than Derek Dieter or Reggie Jackson, because it was a situation where the team needed the player more than the player needed the team. And so he winds up essentially driving the Yankees to increase their offer for, of the spring by 70%. Well, I think that crown has just shifted from Aaron judge to Raphael Devers, who if I'm Devers now I'm sitting there going, Man, you need me a lot more than I need you. And if you want to sign me, guess what? The price has gone up, and that number starts with a four, Dan, based on what we've heard we've seen in this offseason. It's incomprehensible to me how the Red Sox could have backed themselves in a situation where they not only have to pay Devers, but they have to pay an additional bets and Bogart tax because they <laughs> botched those decisions and they're under such pressure from the fan base. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's a very good way to parse it out. And when you were talking about Judge, I knew where you were headed in, in your line of thinking because that's the obvious place to go. And and yes, I, that is where this is going. My only fear of that, everything you say is true, is that they may not think of it that way because they're so bottom line driven now. It's like we're smarter than everybody else and we have automatic attendance and, and interest in our team regardless. And we don't have to do what these other teams do. And we don't care as much as we used to care. So I hope you're right in that they are basically shamed or bullied into doing the right thing by Devers or being mindful of the market or what it's going to be. But they don't seem to be uh, chagrined about letting franchise players walk away and getting very little for them. So that that's the fear now. And uh, yeah, you're right. Devers is in a great spot. And uh, but he's got to be saying to himself, geez, two of my two of my good friends, and these great players, they just let him go. They didn't care. Are they going to care about me? And uh, I don't know his agent. His agent is, is oh, you probably do. He's over there. But uh, yeah. that's going to be a deal. And we're going to be hearing about it from the first day of spring training. And there'll be rumors about trading him. And all that stuff's going to come up. All that ugly stuff's going to be going to rise to the floor with him. Yeah, if they don't sign him in the spring or the, during the course of the winter, uh, then clearly there's going to be a conversation in July about trading him uh, before he, he reaches the market. And, boy, how ugly would that be? It'll be like Juan Soto. Yeah, Dan, you know, we're talking about a team which right now is clearly the fifth best team in the American League East. Oh, yeah. I sent out the projected lineup on Twitter this morning. What they're <laughs> looking at, it's brutal. Like, and so for them not to sign Devers, uh, the ugliness will continue into the summer. Uh, before we go, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to make you uh, the head of baseball operations, or I'll make you John Henry today. If you were to give advice for the Red Sox of what they need to do next in this moment, considering they're working from this pile of rubble, 
what would you do? Oh my God. I, I would go on TV and apologize to everybody and say we're gonna we're gonna change our philosophy once again and, and go back to being what we were in 2002 when we were joyous and all about winning and, and in on everybody and we promised to to be that team moving forward. And you know, I don't know what's left for them to do to make of this now, but stop worrying about luxury tax thresholds and the communism of revenue sharing and <laughs> and you know get back to being what you were and get become like the Phillies owner and just make this a joyous part of your portfolio where you just care about winning and you're not so bothered about bad contracts that don't pay off and you know P Pablo Sandoval or whatever stop worrying about that stuff and get back in the game yeah, I had a great conversation with Peter Seidler early this year, and I was asking about the money the Padres had spent. And I covered the Padres 30 years ago, so I had some context for how they never really increased their payroll. Uh, and he's standing in his ballpark, you know, which a couple of hours later would be filled. Uh, you know, they've done very well in attendance. There's a lot of excitement around that team. And I ran through the typical numbers that, you know, me as a baseball nerd would, would run through. And he looked at me, he goes, we'll be okay. Like he, like he knows his franchise is worth a lot of money and he's like, no, we'll be fine. You know, yeah. whatever contracts we'll take on. And I think all these owners could say that. John Henry bought this team for $750 million. It's worth like three and a half billion now. So let's not, let's not worry about that. And that's not even to get into Liverpool, the Penguins or the, the rest of the portfolio that this, this is the thing that capital gains in this are always going to be there. They've got Fenway Park. They did a beautiful job remodeling it and people love to go there. Unfortunately, you've got a triple A product that you're putting on the field. Dan, thanks for doing this. Thanks Buster. Anytime, man. You can now stream the most major league baseball games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks, Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals and the hottest tickets. Experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Lang, reporter, producer for MLB.com. And Sarah, here's a, a question I was going to pose to Carl Ravitch coming up in a moment. Based on the numbers we've saw, seen this winter, what's your guess on what Shohei Otani is going to get next winter? Oh, my gosh. I I think I need, like, an MIT mathematician to help me with that. Well, you're a University of Chicago mathematician. Come on. <laughs> I'm not a mathematician. I have no idea. But it is going to be massive. And the thing that has blown me away, and we'll talk about it with my numbers, is the years that these players are getting. So in addition to having a huge AAV, a ton of money, it's going to be a very long contract. I'm very excited to see what team that's with. But I have no idea how much he could make. It's 
feels like the sky is the limit. Yeah, we're going to be talking a lot about the number five, as in $50 million a year, yeah. you know, the first number on his annual salary, and five, as in $500 million plus. It's going to be absolutely insane. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 734. So that's how many games Wilson Contreras played in his career with the Cubs. So I was curious, we've seen players play for both the Cubs and the Cardinals. But I was curious if anyone had ever played as much as Contreras played with the Cubs, again, with the Cardinals as well. He has a five-year deal. Even if you're very generous with injuries, he's hopefully, of course, going to play at least 500 games, right? So no player has ever played even 500 career games with both the Cubs and the Cardinals. So he could be the first. Number two. Number two is 34 for age 34. So the Mets, with their offseason signings, adding Jose Quintana as well, joining Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, and Carlos Carrasco in the rotation, have four starters who will all be at least 34 years old this season, the entire year. So, you know, we've talked about 30 starts being a benchmark. I'm going to use that as kind of what you hope to get from uh, from any of them and from your rotation guys. So 30 starts from each of those four guys I named. Here's the mathematician. That would be 120 starts. That has not happened since at least 1900 for any team to get at least 120 starts from pitchers who are at least 34 years old. So the most starts from a team by pitchers 34 years old or older in the single season since 1900. It's 115 by the 1998 Mariners. So I'm not trying to throw cold water. I'm just saying this is a this is an age of a rotation that we haven't seen in a while. Number one. Number one is 11. So, you know, I mentioned years before, and of course, Sandra Bogarts with the reported 11-year contract from the Padres. We talked about this the other day with Trey Turner. We've seen two 11-year free agent contracts this week. In the <laughs> entire history of free agency, there had been one free agent contract of more than 10 years. So, you know, free agency going back to the 70s, there was one. It was Bryce Harper's 13 years with the Phillies. And then this week alone, we've seen two. It's fascinating to me because I sort of thought when he signed that deal, Machado signed a 10-year deal, that they were going to be at Barron because they were very young free agents because they both debuted at a very young age. But now we're seeing guys in their 30s, close to their 30s, getting 10, 11 years, and it's going to be really fun in 10, 11 years to have uh, some really good data on what the final few years of those contracts look like. But I'm very excited to see this Padres lineup. That's a really, really fun group of guys. 
And you led perfectly into my next question. Uh, I am going to make you manager of the Padres for no. a game sometime next May when Fernando Tatis Jr. returns to the lineup. You have FTJ. You have Manny Machado. You have uh, Juan Soto. You have Jake Cronenworth. You have Xander Bogarts. Write out your first five in your lineup for me, Sarah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think Tatis has it first. I think I have Machado second. Wow. No, no, Soto second. I forgot about Soto. There's <laughs> so many great guys. First time oh in your God. life where you forgot about Juan Soto. I know, right? There's so many good players on this team. Probably him second, Machado third. Maybe, but I mean, I don't know if Bogarts is the cleanup hitter, but there, there's so much going on here. I thought you were going to ask me about uh, defensive positions because I'm really interested. I've seen people talking. Obviously, the question is really going to be, is uh, Tatis your left fielder or your right fielder? Does Soto go back to left? He had a very uh, not ideal defensive year, so maybe that affects it slightly, but uh, really incredible. And by the way, I think their best defensive shortstop is going to be the guy playing second base in Hassan Kim. Yep, you're right. I'm going to throw the speculation at Paul and Bikitis in just a moment. I'm curious to see what you think. I Knowing how Scott Boris loves to do package deal, a guy I think would be an absolute great fit for this roster would be Michael Conforto. Uh, another Boris client. And if I'm if I'm uh, Scott Boris, if I'm Michael Conforto, I want that to happen. What do you think? For sure. I mean, I think another outfielder would really solidify that. Again, this is a great lineup. This is a great team as it is. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I also think this is a team that can, I know that, I mean, these numbers, this money, it's even beyond comprehension. But I think the way they're constructed, if Conforto needs a bit of time coming back from the injury, they're in a position where they wouldn't need to rely on him. And yep. I think that's the best fit for him. Because as a free agent who missed a whole year, he can't be the jewel signing. No, and he, and it's a great place for him to go on a one-year deal Put a big numbers batting sixth or seventh in the Padres lineup. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I I absolutely love that fit. Sarah, thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you. The way thanks. it's going, we'll probably talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> thanks so much for having me. Hey, I hope so. This has been an awesome week. I love it. All aboard. It's the Rabbi Train with Carl Ravage. On baseball tonight. Ravi Train, of course, Carl Ravich, the uh, host of baseball tonight during the postseason and during the regular season, play-by-play -play man on Sunday Night Baseball, and also a native New Englander, which is why, Carl, I wanted to have you on today to talk about what happened with the Boston Red Sox last night, with Xander Bogarts uh, leaving to go to the San Diego Padres. It's making everybody scratch their head in New England. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest with you, Buster. I, it's one of the, it's a double head scratcher. You scratch the right side of your head because you're not exactly sure how he got away. And then I think you scratch the left side of your head by wondering why the Padres committed so much money and so many years. Because I think if the Red Sox had made that deal, there'd be a lot of Red Sox fans who are wondering why in the world did they give him 11 years? 
So uh, it's a double head scratcher. There's a lot of frustration. I think this is this is another one of those layers on top of layers of frustration up here with the way the team is, has been run recently. Um, I think the only, you know, my takeaway on it, though, that I is probably maybe contradictory to many of those in New England, is this idea, and I, I, I tend to fall on this a lot, Buster, at this time of year, free agency, when the narrative comes out that the player wanted to stay and yet they turned down an exorbitant amount of money. Now, it seems like they were about $120 million apart and that's, there's no definition that exorbitant would, would define that it's way past that. But again, the player does have the option. The player did have an option for a higher average annual value for the next six years. So I, I think it's a bit of a gray area when you say player wanted to stay. And then, then you have to kind of add the caveats at what price for how many years, because player wanted to stay sounds like the organization totally screwed this up. And because the player wanted to stay and they didn't pay him what player wanted, therefore they let him go. So there's there's a lot of there's just a lot of nuance to these these big deals for me. Yeah, and I I feel like that the the Red Sox uh, being so uh, conservative in their offer to him in the spring uh, yes. opened the door for that conversation. Look, we saw you know they gave Trevor Story 140 million dollars as a free agent in the spring, and in the same time frame, you know we had that truncated spring training. The, the labor deal gets done. There's a rush to get everybody to spring training. They start the regular season. In that same time that they were negotiating with Trevor Story and giving him $140 million, they offered Bogarts a one-year extension for $30 million right. on top of the three years and, and $60 million that he had left. And I, I do feel like that that changed a lot, not only for Xander Bogarts, but I think for the whole organization. Because Xander Bogarts, as you, I think you would agree with me, he's one of the happiest guys in baseball, one of the best guys in baseball, and it felt like that offer, uh, you know, was was like it was incomprehensible to me that they would give him a one year extension offer like that when we saw what other players were getting, and I think in that moment Bogarts switched from the column of boy, I, I really want to do what I, I can to stay with the Red Sox to, you know what, it's a business. Does that make sense? It does. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, and I'm sure we'll touch on it, but when Aaron Judge was offered what he was offered last year by the Yankees, I know you and I discussed this, there have been great examples of players who have felt in some way either offended or the door was open for opportunities to go elsewhere because my organization didn't give me or respect me the way I thought I should be respected we, we've seen it blow up before on organizations where superstars end up leaving bogarts is the most recent example judge and the yankees were able to overcome that quote unquote you know lack of respect um and look what what we don't know while we do games every sunday and managers make bullpen decisions and pitching decisions and lineup decisions there are things that we don't know about organizations, about dynamics, even about players, whether it's medical or for or other things that that lead organizations to make decisions. 
Whether any of those exist in this dynamic with Bogarts and the Red Sox, I'm not suggesting. But I am saying that when a team makes the offer that the Red Sox did initially to Bogarts, and then we're willing to give them the amount of years that they were while other teams were willing to basically double it, that, that says to me that the Red Sox don't value the particular player the way that the fans might, the way that our other organizations might, and they know the player as well as anybody. Your point's well taken. He's the happiest guy, one of, that we know in baseball. Um, you know, he, he's a tremendous clubhouse personality. But because it's, quote, a business, well, teams don't necessarily worry about how happy the guy is or what type of clubhouse presence he is. There are many other factors that would go above those that would dictate whether we're going to give this person money. Beyond all that, the Red Sox decision-making has been very confusing when you're watching yes. all these other organizations, the Phillies and Dave Dombrowski, who was, who was obviously there when the Red Sox were having great success, leave. His team makes it to the World Series last year. They give Trey Turner a shortstop, all the money they did, and the Red Sox lose one of the four shortstops in this class. So a, a lot of things conspire against the Red Sox, including the behavior of the Red Sox. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. And I think from based on what I've heard, that all of the upheaval, the unhappiness of the fan base is starting to get the attention of owner John Henry. Really? Now? We're just figuring that out now? I mean, I don't understand. Is starting to get the attention? Come on. I know. I, look, maybe because you won four championships in you know two decades, that uh, inoculated him from some of this conversation. But I, I know this for a fact. Uh, he's got people that uh, you know he's listening to in his ear saying, you have a major problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll it'll be reflected in attendance and Nesson viewer ratings if the team yep. stinks. I mean, uh, there, there's no greater reminder to an owner when he, he goes to watch his team play and he looks around and there are a lot of red seats next to him. You know, they're empty and the ratings are down. I mean, to me, that the, the other, you know, the most significant aspect of the Aaron Judge deal after the idea that he's going to be playing for them I think that the number of people in those seats were going to dramatically be lowered and the ratings on yes, without Aaron judge and the team not doing as well, we're going to suffer and organizations can't stand that stuff. You need, you need people in the seats. You need eyeballs on your, on your RSN fact. Exactly. Uh, and I'm going to ask you about Aaron judge and that signing and what your takeaway was, because you did have that really interesting conversation uh, in that first weekend back in April with Judge. And I want you to relate yeah. that uh, when we get to turn to that. But before we, we spin away from the Bogart signing, I want to ask you about the Padres end of this. I, I just, you know, I love the fact as someone who covered the Padres, uh, you know, 30 years ago, I love the fact that Peter Seidler has made it clear, look, I don't care. I, I'm doing everything I can to win. I, you know, I'm going after Trey Turner. No, he didn't want to sign. Okay, um, we're bringing Aaron Judge in. We're going to meet with him. He doesn't want to sign. Okay. We're going to move on to Xander Bogarts. He wants to win, Carl. I think it's really cool. It's incredibly refreshing if you're a Padre fan. I would ask why you pivoted to Bogarts and not Correa. If money is seemingly no no object, well, why not then, I think, go for what I what I believe is a better player. But that's, that's secondary. Um, and, yeah, uh, look, does the, does the move 
sense under any other sort of quantifiable um, decision-making item other than I want to win? No, it, it, they don't. I'm, I'm sorry. No, you're right. Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's been odd that these contracts these year, this, this off season, for the most part are being given to 30 year olds and older and they're all long. I, I understand not wanting to up the average annual value, but boy, I'd never last in this industry. You know, if, I, if I'm a team that wants a shortstop, like if I'm the Red Sox or the Twins or the Dodgers, exclusive of how they feel about ex-Astros, Carlos Correa, here's $50 million a year for four years. I'll blow AAV out of the water. I understand it's going to hurt me in other areas with my team and my ability to spend, but I, I'm, I'm not a 10 to 11 year 13 year contract owner i'm i just wouldn't do it therefore i wouldn't last in this industry that, that i get it but none of these long-term deals to me make a great deal of sense it's like short term yes long term no don't make sense well and you know you, you would last in the injury because you'd be working for the dodgers because you know and I know that's basically been their working philosophy. Look, you know, the Dodgers have, have indicated they, they don't like these whopper contracts. People bring up bets. Bets had so much deferred money that it takes down the, the actual value of it. It's a bargain, like what right. they're getting out of Mookie Betts and what they're paying him. Uh, and they have run away. That's why when Aaron Judge was mentioned as a possible match with the Dodgers, I was laughing at that because I'm like, and Andrew Freeman never pays sticker price for anything. Right. And you know what? The Dodgers have been pretty good. So that, uh, you know, but I, I'm with you uh, where I feel like for the Padres, it's exciting. We saw how great that fan base uh, responded to that, uh, the championship run in the fall, you know, after they trade Juan Soto, they nearly drew 3 million people there, which is really cool. You do worry at some point in the, their history, and maybe it's in 10 years or 15 years, like the Detroit Tigers, there's going to be a credit card bill that's going to come due for a, a, a franchise Right. Uh, that historically has not spent that much money. What do you think about Wilson Contreras going to the St. Louis Cardinals? Well, I'm always intrigued and, and excited when a particular player goes to an organization within the same division. Uh, I think it sets up an incredible dynamic. Um, I, obviously, the Cardinals, you know, have been the cream of that division for a while, and the Cubs have been there and, and now are figuring out ways to try to compete again with them. But you're going to have to compete against the guy that, you know, you had since he broke into major league baseball. So that part of it is always interesting. Um, it, look, it makes a lot of sense. The, the Cardinals got very little offense from their catching position recently. We know how great Molina has been, but that's, that's kind of it. So it, it makes a lot of sense to me. It's a pretty standard Cardinal move. Um, you know, and they, they to me, they, they got another move to make, whether it's a starting pitcher, which they can certainly go after, whether it's a shortstop. But Wilson Contreras ending up in St. Louis makes a lot of sense to help out Arenado and Goldschmidt. And the idea that the Cubs are going to have to look at him a whole bunch wearing that uniform uh, makes it a little more juicy. Yeah, and let's face it, if you're the Cardinals, the bar is a lot lower in the Amer in the National League Central as it is in the American League Central than it is in, say, the National League East, where you've got the Mets, oh you've got God. the Phillies, you've got the Braves. The Mets are, you know, trying to fill in the spots on their roster. They signed Jose Quintana. What do you make of that group that they put together? Yeah, you know, uh, look, 
Uh, unless there's something that is letting these teams know that being 30-something is okay now, when it seemed like in recent history, like we're not doing that, but now we are doing that. And this is an indication that the best, Buster, the best time to be a free agent in baseball is the season after a labor or work yes. stoppage is, is solved. Like that, if you know, we, we keep talking about timing it so there are few players at your position. Forget all that. The best time to be a free agent is the season after there's a new labor agreement. That's it. That That is the only – that's the best. After that, sure, you want to be the only first baseman on the market, that works out well for you. But if you want to be in the pool of free agents, do it the year after we've got a labor agreement. Um, that being said, you know, Quintana to me is a back end of the rotation guy, and they got a few of them. Uh, I'm interested to see what Tyler McGill becomes because there was a lot of excitement around him at the beginning of the year last year. Um and if Verlander and Scherzer are, are are able to be used in a way that they're fresh in September and October, then it should be it should be outstanding. I love the Verlander deal relative to the Degrom deal. Uh, again, it just goes back to the whole, you know, Andrew Friedman and Carl Ravitch philosophy: short short term deals, older players, pay them what they are what they are worth, makes great sense. You know, in a lot of ways, Verlander getting a win in the World Series may have helped. You know, he he's proven to himself he can do it. He acknowledged it was important if they're able to get there. But my God, that National League East is is a joke. And when you go to Miami, you're going to have to deal with Alcantara every five days, which is you know no picnic. And who knows what else they have as far as arms go. That 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 division is ferocious. And just as an aside, with the Mets. I think, with all due respect to the Yankees, uh, the Astros, the Braves, to me, when Harper comes back, the Phillies, including the Padres, the Phillies have the best lineup in baseball, offensively. Yeah, that that will be fun when Harper comes back. You hope he's at, uh, at you know relatively close to to full speed. We saw how he was struggling physically in the last two months. And in October, he was an absolute monster. So he's had some experience, you know, coming back from, from injuries. 45 seconds. Uh, we're going to be talking to Sarah Langs in a moment. Uh, before we do that, I want to ask you, based on what we've seen this winter, what's Shohei Otani getting as a free agent next winter? <laughs> well, unfortunately for him, it's not the immediate season after the labor agreement has been done, but but we got a few more years on it, so it's it's going to be large. It's um, going to start with a five, yeah. Next winter, when he's I, a free I, agent, the first number is going to be a guess. five. I guess it's some. I mean, look, I don't know. I'm sure people have had these conversations since you know Winfield and Reggie Jackson signed their deals, and the conversation was at some point there's got to be an end game to this. Like you can't keep going to fours and fives and sixes and yada 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 but I mean, in his case he's he's a hybrid you know you tell me buster what do you we, we talk about and, and players have brought this up not necessarily now obviously but historically in baseball about collusion it's amazing how the, the sort of mike trout deal ha has defined the the ceiling that we're going to give to players and we saw it this year we we We've seen the 37, Aaron Judge gets 40, 
nobody was willing to go to 50. Like, why isn't anybody willing to do something like that? And yes, Otani seems to be the guy that will break it. But boy, there seems to be kind of an artificial individual salary cap on players now. The, the new the new way to go about this is to just give them 30 years and keep the average annual value down. Uh, you know, you want to take out a hundred year mortgage and, and lower your payment. That's fine. But you never pay your house off. Uh, I agree. Credit cards are going to come due at some point. I, I can't begin to imagine what Otani is, is going to make on the open market. And you know, there are teams who, who quote unquote are saving up for that day. Like the Mariners, like the Giants, uh, exactly. Heck, the Padres might be involved, you know, a year from now, based on what they're doing. Maybe the Dodgers, the Angels will take a run at it. Uh, you know, the Mets, the Yankees, uh, that, that, I mean, we thought the Darren Judge thing was crazy. Wait till Otani. Buster, two quick thoughts. Larry Bear walked into our booth one night. The uh, executive for the Giants said this is a superstar sport. They're still looking for their superstar. And Aaron Judge winked on, uh, on sort of our first Sunday night game and said, we're in a good place. I don't know what kind of crystal ball he has, but you and I should get one. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Carl. See you, bud. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employees agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. That's Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. Hembo is Paul Mbikati's researcher at ESPN, head honcho on the show Get Up. And we have him on all the time when we have baseball questions and all week. We've had baseball questions, and there's so many questions, Hembo, about what happened with Xander Bogarts. And I think those started in spring training when the Red Sox offered him $90 million, which turned out 
to be about $15 million less than they spent to get an outfielder from Japan about the same age named Yoshida. <laughs> Uh, yes, that, uh, that's that's not a sentence that um, any person living in or around Boston could have possibly fathomed. It is exactly what just happened to Red Sox Nation. And I don't know a single member of that fan base this morning that woke up and is happy about anything that's happened over the last year. Yeah, so uh, I, I sent out a tweet this morning with the projected Red Sox lineup, and most of the emoji responses from Red Sox fans were some form of somebody vomiting. Uh, I, I'm curious about what your take is on where they stand. The Red Sox stink. The Red Sox are the worst team in their division. They were last year, they were three years ago, and they're likely to be again. The Red Sox have no choice now but to be super aggressive, and that includes, that most definitely includes re-engaging with Rafael Devers to ensure the same fate doesn't happen there. And frankly, it means they should re-engage strongly if there's been any engagement at all with the camp of Carlos Correa. Buster, I view Carlos Correa as the perfect trump card for the Red Sox. I have no idea if they'll go there. But what I do know is this. They don't have a shortstop. Trevor Story is not a shortstop. He is a second baseman. He did not throw a single baseball 80 miles per hour last year. His arm is shot. Marcelo Meyer, their number one prospect, is years away from reaching the big leagues. You look up and down that lineup. This is a lineup that has Eric Hosmer hitting fifth. Eric Hosmer, Buster, just grounded into a double play while you and I were talking about this. This lineup up and down is awful. I don't see a, an, op, a, an opportunity here for, you know, to get, for their pitching staff to get much better either unless they really invest heavily there. They're not going to get anybody out. Uh, the Kenley Jansen signing, I suppose, will provide a Band-Aid. But this is a pitching staff that needs surgery. I, I think this team is awful. And I think the only way that they can dig themselves out of it in the short term is to spend money like crazy. It's to put on their, their Padres hat, their Phillies hat, their Yankees hat and try to outspend. And to me, like Carlos Correa would be the ultimate trump card. He'd be the ultimate antagonist for those Yankees fans who obviously hate him. And the relationship is there with, with Alex Cora. That, that is the, 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 if I woke up this morning as a fan of the Boston Red Sox, I'm, I'm, I'm awfully mad as I'm looking at your Twitter feed. Uh, when I look at what my lineup looks like and then I'm pivoting to, okay, how in the world can we get that guy to make me feel better? Here's the, the, the crazy part about all this Hemo, is that I feel like, I mean, Scott Boris represents Carlos Correa, and he's going to read. Uh, he's going to read the market. He's going to read the leverage. He knows he, he would have the Red Sox in that situation completely by the short ones. <laughs> yes, right? uh, where he most he, definitely he, would. Yeah, and so if I'm if I'm Scott Boris, I'm telling the Red Sox what because I've got the Minnesota Twins on the other line. I got the San Francisco Giants in the other line. I might have the Cubs on the other line. I'm telling the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, if you want to talk to my client, your offer is going to start with the number four, as in four hundred million, because you're going to have to coax Carlos Correa. Given the the rubble that is the Red Sox right now, you're going to have to coax him away from the Giants or the Cubs or the Twins. Better situations, I think. What do you think? I agree with you, Carlos. There is no team in baseball that needs anybody uh, on the free agent market more badly than the Red Sox need Carlos Correa. The moment that Xander Bogarts decided he was no longer going to play there, they absolutely had to pivot. And it doesn't really matter in the case of Scott Boris here who has the leverage and who doesn't. What does matter is that the Red Sox have all the money in the world if they want to spend it. Who are we kidding? I'm, wa I'm watching the San Diego Padres spend money that they don't have, and I'm watching the Red Sox not spend money that they do. Correa is the perfect person 
to remedy all of this, and it would change the entire tenor of the organization. It would change the play of the franchise for the next five years. It would make the fan base feel incredibly energized as you go into next season. Like You could actually justify letting Xander Bogarts walk and signing Carlos Correa. But if they go into next season with Trevor Story throwing uh, couch pillows across the diamond and Christian Arroyo playing second base, they're going to hear all sorts of uh, booze and Boston accents and drinking Sam Adams. Like That's exactly where they're at right now. Honestly, like uh, Bloom is persona non grata. And the signing yesterday of the Japanese outfielder is not going to go anywhere in trying to remedy uh, the feelings of this fan base right now. They need to make that big splash. And there's one great free agent left on the market. And the Red Sox are the team that needs to sign him. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you about the Padres lineup in a moment. But before we do that, I want to ask you, if the Red Sox don't sign Correa or if they don't sign Danzy Swanson, I had one experienced agent the other day predict to me that the, the Red Sox would have to pivot hard and pot- potentially sign Dansby Swanson. I don't know why Dansby would want that given mm. the current situation. Uh, but if they don't sign one of the two remaining elite shortstops on the market, uh, you've got Kike Hernandez, you've got Trevor Story, you've got Christian Arroyo. What's your middle infield alignment? <laughs> I mean, based upon the current group of people that I have to choose from here, I'm probably going to have to play Story at short and play him like in double play depth uh, for half the season because, again, he can't throw and the stat cast metrics make that clear. I'm probably going to play Kike Hernandez in center because he's demonstrated that he plays that position at a fairly high level. And I think my new shining Yoshida is going to play left field. And I guess I'm going to play Christian Arroyo at second base. But as you can tell with the skepticism in my voice, like, there's there's nothing about that, that that energizes me at all. I mean, the Trevor signing uh, story signing was a massive mistake a year ago, and I made that clear then, and I still feel that way now. And in order to be in order to thrive now uh, with all the new rule changes and such, like you're going to have to be really good up the middle. The Red Sox might be worse up the middle than almost any team in the sport that has any interest in competing, so long as that is uh, you know still their objective uh, for the upcoming season. And frankly, it's not clear that it is. Yeah. And by the way, at the time the Red Sox signed Trevor Story, there were other teams who looked at him who believe that he's headed for Tommy John surgery, Uh, that, uh, you know, with what's going on with them, that there's he's got a surgical procedure in his future. You know what the actual truth is. The Red Sox have a better idea of that. Um, I agree with you. Kike Hernandez is your center fielder. But boy, (laughs) there are a lot of bad choices, including... As uh, we've talked about, if you're going to sign Raphael Devers, the number better start with a four. If he's going to sign yes. Correa, the number better start with a four because those guys have so much leverage against a team uh, that's in, in trouble. And and I referred to it as the bets and Bogarts tax that the Red Sox are now going to have to pay because their fan base is so upset. Uh, what about the Padres? We could also call that the stupid tax. <laughs> anyway, um, as it relates to the Padres, they are getting just an eminently brilliant offensive player buster. Over the last five years, going back to the start of the 2018 season, there are only two hitters in all of baseball that have hit 300 and slugged 500. And those two players are Freddie Freeman and Xander Bogarts. It's, it's excellence that is both sustained and consistent. In each of the last five years, he has generated an OPS plus of 125 or better. He's been 25% or better than the league average five years in a row. The only shortstop to ever do that, at age of 25 through 29, is Ernie Banks. Like that's the kind of company that Xander Bogarts is in. And there's another area buster that he will really improve the San Diego Padres in, an area in which they were just average last season. He is an excellent, a top of the food chain type base runner since he entered the league since he became a a full-time starting player buster 
He has taken the extra base on 289 occasions, more than any player in all of baseball. So as we're looking for sort of ways in which you can improve your club in the margins, you can add ancillary skills to your ledger. You can find ways to steal runs and score runs at all and, and without the benefit of the three-run home run, especially in a ballpark that big. You're going to see Xander Bogarts run wild with Juan Soto and Manny Machado hitting behind him. Yeah, and I got to tell well, you've got him hitting be, with Juan Soto hitting behind him. The way I would align the front four in their lineup uh, would be Fernando Tatis Jr. first, of course, after he comes back from a suspension. I would hit Soto second. I would hit Bogarts third. I would hit uh, Machado fourth. I think Bogarts is the perfect guy to hit behind Juan Soto because I just think of Bogarts as being this guy you do not want to see coming to the plate with runners on base because he can put the ball in play and he hits with power. Uh, he would be a guy who would scare opposing pitchers, opposing catchers, opposing managers. What do you think? Look, I, I've always been of the belief that you hit your best hitter second. Uh, I think the math makes that clear based upon opportunity versus run scoring, uh, run driving in opportunity. Uh, at the beginning of the season, I would hit Bogarts uh, ahead. Once uh, Tatis comes back and is reacclimated, I think you're right. He probably is the right person to lead off with Juan Soto hitting second. Xander Bogarts hitting third and Machado hitting fourth is a ridiculous top half of your lineup. And just like this thought just uh, occurred to me based upon us running through this ridiculous order. Juan Soto is going to on base like 500 next year. I mean, are you kidding me? With with, with Xander Bogarts and, and Manny Machado potentially hitting behind him and Fernando Tatis sitting in front of him, like who is going to pitch to that guy? Like how how in the world are you going to be able to navigate through there? Uh, that that's a a a that's a number that could that could start with a five or like a four like a four seventy a four eighty. But the top four hitters in that lineup have the chance to be historically good. And look, I mean, they've already had an embarrassment of rigid. I just ran through the numbers. The Padres have four of the top ten hitters in the National League. I think you could make a a strong case. I'm not sure when the last time you could say that about any team in any lineup. Okay, I got a prediction because you know the history of Scott Boris and and uh, how he does negotiations and clients and that sort of thing. Yeah. I have no. This is total speculation on my part. But you and I have been pretty good with speculation this week. Let's just well, say you that, have okay? nailed it, bro. You have you obviously know a few people in this game. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, I believe you know as we look at the Padres lineup, it's clear they need a corner outfielder DH type guy. Well, guess who's a perfect fit? Like, if I'm this guy, I'm running to San Diego, um, you know, uh, bowing down at the statue of Tony Gwynn, and then I'm going to the Padres front office and saying, I want to be on this team. And that would be another Boris client, Michael Conforto, who mm. is a free agent right now. He's available to sign. And Scott, in the past, like an Alex Rodriguez signed with the Texas Rangers, Oh, Chan Ho Park, another Boris client, wound up on the team. There have been so many examples of that. And if I'm Scott Boris, and I had these conversations with about Xander Bogarts the last couple of days, I'd be putting my armor on A.J. Preller, and I'd say, hey, you know what? Looks like you have a spot for this really good left-handed hitter who's accomplished, who's coming back from an injury. How about him? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, that's a great freaking call. I hadn't thought about Michael Conforto in a while, obviously, having not played all of last season. But he's a really, really intriguing uh, option. Obviously, he grew up on the West Coast, played baseball yep. at or at at Oregon State. And and if and if like if you're just you know a casual fan out there that that you know, isn't quite as cynical as we are, this stuff happens all the time. The kind of handshake agreements that you're talking about. I mean, the, the notion that an agent would not go into a room with just a myopic view of whatever conversation they're having is silly. Like this happens all the time. The, yep. the Washington nationals essentially built their championship roster in 2019 
with Scott Boris clients. I mean, they just signed all of his guys. They retained as many guys as they could. I mean, aside from Bryce Harper, of course, that's how they did it there. If Scott Boris has, it's, it's very clear that Scott Boris has a direct line pipeline to ownership there in San Diego. That's how these things work. That's how Scott works. And that's the room that he occupies. And that's who winds up talking to Scott Boris. And that's how those nine, you know, those nine figure deals get done. Michael Conforto would make an, a, a heck of a lot of sense in that lineup. Obviously, they're interested in spending the money. They could use another left-handed bat. Look, I, I, I'm not going to go as far as to say that I'll, I'll predict it to happen because I have no insider knowledge, but it makes all the sense in the world based upon the relationships. Yep, that's exactly right. And you're right. That's how these things get done. All right, Hambo, thanks for doing that. Later, friends. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it's time for Bleacher Tweets. Our first one comes from Steve P. Can you stop being right all the time? The Red Sox broke my heart with how they handled Xander. Is there any redemption for them in the future? Well, Dan Shaughnessy has them going on television. His recommendation them go on television and apologize. (laughs) (laughs) So in the near future, probably not. And as we uh, talked about with Paul and Bikini's, with Carlos Correa, with uh, Rafael Devers, the player has so much leverage against the Red Sox because they're so vulnerable in this moment. And I, you know, I didn't have a chance to ask Dan this. At this point, if you're a veteran player and you have choices like Jose Abreu, why would you choose going to the Red Sox? Unless they offered you a ton more money, um, they're, they are really in a bad spot. And yeah, we talked earlier in the week about the Padres and their signals to the market about how aggressive that they were going to be. It really teed up for a lot of the action that's uh, happened this week. Tough, tough day for Red Sox fans. Yep. Um, next up is Scotty Barnes. Are the Padres assembling a team that has position flexibility similar to the Dodgers and Rays? Yeah, Scotty, I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, the other day when Scott Boris met with the media, he mentioned Xander Bogarts, you know, later in his career could uh, have the versatility to switch to another spot. Uh, Kim played shortstop well for them last year. He's moving to second base. Jay Cronenworth can move around. Um, I, I, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., he can move around. They've got great athletes on this team. Next up is Brad Barber. With all the money Padres have tied up in Machado, Tatis, Bogarts, Musgrove, etc., will they have any interest or be able to sign Soto long-term? Peter Seidler, their owner, has made it clear he wants to sign Soto long-term. He also uh, represented by Scott Boris, who represents Xander Bogarts. So I, I, I think they'll take a run at it. You know, we'll see. Uh, maybe if you're Juan Soto at this point, you want to see what Otani gets next winter. And uh, that shapes whatever dollars you get. Plus, he needs to play better. You know, he didn't play well for the Padres the last two months. He needs to go out and have a good season. Next up is Corey Rucker. What's going on in Boston? They shipped out Mookie, offer Bogarts $190 million less than what he signed for, and still have not extended Devers. That fan base will be irate. Yep. Uh, and I that's why I wanted to get Dan on today, to speak to that, because I... I And he's right. I mean, the voice of the fans in Boston will be manifested by eyeballs on screens and by people in the stands. It'll be interesting to see how many empty seats are at Fenway next year. Thoughts and prayers again out to all you Red Sox fans. P.K. Steinberg wrote in with, why are teams throwing so much money into long-term contracts that are going to frankly suck for several years towards their end? Well, and I think the Phillies wrote up the blueprint for this when they did the the Bryce Harper deal. You know, they agreed on a sum, $335 million, I believe was the number. 
And then to make it work for the team with a luxury tax threshold, they just added years onto the deal, figuring that those are years where the player probably is going to be um, you know, out of a regular spot anyway. If you're the Padres, I don't think there's an expectation that Xander Bogart's going to be a productive player for 11 years. It's probably eight, but by extending the contract over 11 years, uh, you, you make it uh, easier for the team to absorb it. Um, I, that's why I don't think it's there any this additional belief that players are going to be productive into their early 40s. I think it's all about uh, trying to deal with the luxury tax implications. Our last one comes from T. Jones. Buster, given the most recent Hall of Fame vote, who do you think are the most glaring Hall of Fame omissions, excluding the PED guys? Sorry, Sarah. I I think it's Kurt Schilling. Like right now, it's clear uh, he's got Hall of Fame numbers. He was getting close. I think he would have been voted in by now, if not for the tweets that he had. I, As we've talked about many times on podcasts, they don't agree with a lot of voters dropping him from their ballot because of tweets that he made long after his playing career is over. My feeling is Kurt Schilling should be assessed for what he did during his playing career. That's the only thing that matters when you're talking about entrance into the Hall of Fame, not you know what his political views are, what his social media posts are. It, it's clear that his uh, Hall of Fame numbers deserve election to the Hall of Fame. I was disappointed for him that that didn't happen this week. All right, that is it for Bleacher Tweets. So be sure to write in every week using hashtag Bleacher Tweets and we will be back with a new show whenever the news dictates, which who knows? <laughs> that could be tomorrow. Look, Most if Carlos, likely. <laughs> if Carlos Correa signs today, we will have a show tomorrow. Yes. You know, if uh, maybe if Dansby Swanson signs with the Red Sox and the, this narrative starts to shift, maybe we uh, we have a show tomorrow. But uh, yeah, we'll see where the news takes us uh, as we move forward. That's it for today. My thanks to Hembo, to Carl, to Sarah, to Dan, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.